This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox at Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about the church, go to antiochchurchnc.org. All right, I'm going to invite the children to come on down. Come on down, children of all ages. Let's go. Come on. Look at this. What a great group of kids. How's everybody doing today? Good. Okay, I'm going to ask you one question, and I want you to shout the answer. All right? Bub, you can sit down. There you go. Everybody have a seat. Perfect. All right, shout your answer. What's your favorite food? Some of you had to warm up to it. My favorite food is just shout it. Pizza or what else? Hamburgers. There you go. Corn, corn dog. All right, listen to this verse in the Bible. Jeremiah said to God, your words were found and I ate them. Why would anybody want to eat the Bible? No, li- listen, listen. He says, got a scholar up here, Jeremy. Your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name. Now listen, you're going to hear today in the sermon where we are told to long for and drink up the pure spiritual milk of God's word. Does your mom ever tell you to finish your milk? Does anybody, anybody, Grant already, already finished it. Good job. Why does mom want you to finish your milk? Because it builds your body strong, right? Strong and healthy. And the word of God, as we take it in, also builds our bodies strong and healthy. It makes us stronger to be like Christ. We want to be like Christ, don't we? We want to be like Jesus. All right, so are you going to go home and eat the Bible today? I don't recommend that because my man here is right. Uh, we don't eat the Bible. We take in the words of the Bible from our parents, from home group, from family devotions, and even from the sermon day. Who's going to listen to the sermon today? Raise your hand if you're going to listen. All right, try to get your parents to listen too. All right, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this, uh, this meal that we're getting ready to serve up. We pray that we would enjoy it and be, and be nourished by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Speaking of food, your favorite food will now be served. Make two lines. Make sure you get one for Mr. Lanier. Josh, get one for Todd. Welcome to Antioch Community Church. We're glad everyone's here today. Our scripture, we're finishing up 1 Peter chapter 1. So starting in verse 22 and going to chapter 2, verse 3. If you'll follow along. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Amen. Welcome this morning, saints here and afar, wherever you are. We're thankful that you're watching or with us in person. So, many years ago, I taught 
an Elon 101 class. In fact, Jeff Gentry was in one of those classes with me, Jeff, back there. And it was for newcomers to help them get acclimated to Elon, the life of Elon, the school of Elon, the studies of Elon, to help them not just to survive, but to thrive as students. So I would suggest that Peter, in this text, and really a lot of this book, he's teaching Christianity 101, holiness 101. Here's how to be like Jesus 101. These are just the nuts and bolts. This is simple stuff, easy to understand, but hard to do, isn't it? He starts with what is an indicative, something that is settled. We've talked about indicatives and imperatives, right? The indicatives are the truth that we're told in Scripture. The imperatives are, here's what you need to do because of that truth. And so the, the indicative is that you've purified your souls by being obedient to the truth of the gospel. In other words, you have been saved. You are saved. Now, here's the imperative. Because you are saved, because that's true of you, Here's how you are to live. Here's basic Christianity 101. Nobody gets to skip a grade here. Nobody gets to just go right to the PhD. You have to go through the basics of Christianity, right? And so this is Christianity 101. We're going to look at three main points. Live like this, put this away, and drink this up. First, live like this, verses 22 and 23. Notice the two phrases that open Each of these two verses, 22 and 23, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth and since you have been born again. That's the the bread, if you will, uh, of this sandwich. It's the good news of the gospel. The, the, The bread that holds everything together is the good news of the gospel. Amen? It's why we have hope. It's why we can be grateful and thankful. It's why we can worship God with all of our hearts and minds. Because of the gospel, the living and abiding word of God, that by the means by which we are saved and the means by which we are being being made holy. Only the gospel of God, the grace of God, can make that happen for us. What's in between those two slices? What's the, what's the meat of that sandwich here we're being taught today? Well, it's true holiness. It's the mark of true holiness. This is what true holiness looks like. And that's why Peter can command it because this is what holiness is. Basically, in a nutshell, it's love one another. He said you need to cultivate this as followers of Jesus to learn how to better love one another. Right? And he's not, he's not satisfied with mere tolerance or mere acceptance of one another. He commands us to love. Remember when a couple of weeks ago, we're between Genesis and 1 Peter, we're going through some of the, the distinctives of Antioch or, or, or five values that we really care about. Remember in the last Sunday, I talked about gospel culture. And the key verse that we looked at was Romans 15, verse 7 where Paul writes, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcoming one another, that's gospel-motivated love. That's love that's not just, oh, I'm going to tolerate you because I don't really, don't really like to be around you, but I'm going to put up with you, you know, because I have to. No, it's, it's welcoming. It's open our arms and our hearts to one another. That's what we want for our children, right? That's the goal of every parent with their children, to teach your children how to really have love for one another. 
I'm thrilled that our children, we didn't do it all right. We did most of it wrong, but our children still love one another. They love being together. They love each other. They care for one another. And that's, that's one of our goals as parents, isn't it, right? Not just to accept one another and tolerate each other until I can get out of this house, and I can't wait to. I can't yet, can't drive yet. <laughs> no, but when I can, I'm leaving. No, it's to love one another and care for one another no matter what. Now, we seek to model that genuine love as parents because the best thing we can do for our children is what? Parents love each other, right? Because then they, then they see what real love is about. They see mom and dad welcoming one another as Christ has welcomed them. And it's not just tolerance and acceptance and, you know, gritting your teeth to be with this person as your married uh, partner. No, they see genuine love in you and they say, ah, oh, so that's what it looks like. So look at how Paul or Peter describes the love we have for one another in the body of Christ. He first says, we should have sincere brotherly love. <laughs> I like that word sincere. It means without hypocrisy. It means genuine. The original meaning, I love this, the original meaning of that word in Greek was inexperienced in the art of acting. I like that. Right? I mean, if you have to act yourself into a way of feeling love towards one another, hey, that's better than indifference or hate. But how much better to be inexperienced in the art of acting and have genuine and sincere love for one another? Pray that God would give you that. And then Peter expands that definition when he says to love one another earnestly. Sometimes love stretches and strains us, doesn't it? Everybody say, yes. It, it stretches and strains you, one child, stretches and strains you to love some people sometimes, and some, all people sometimes, right? And we're in good company when that happens because the word is also used in Luke where Jesus is said, is said of Jesus, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. That's Luke twenty-two forty-four. If the Lord can love us to death like that, then we also can be stretched and strained to love one another with that same gospel-motivated love. And then Peter expands it even further when he says we're to love from a pure heart. How many have a perfectly pure heart? Don't raise your hand. None of us do. We don't have a perfectly pure heart. But part of our holiness, part of our growth in holiness means continually sweeping away pride and selfishness from our heart. Where we recognize pride in ourselves and selfishness in ourselves, you know, uh, in, any, in any form or fashion, putting that away is going to increase our love and our holiness. It makes more room for love from a pure heart. Remember Ray Ortland. I don't think I told you this quote from his sermon. I'll probably keep preaching this sermon to you. But he said, God's law tells us to do better, but God's grace makes us better. And it's God's grace that makes us better at loving one another from a pure heart, earnestly, sincerely, without hypocrisy. You know, Paul wrote this to the church in Thessalonica. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. How are we taught, to, taught by God to love one another? Through Jesus, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son 
And whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So Paul goes on, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Don't give up on love. Live like this more and more. Ask God to help you to love people sincerely, without hypocrisy, with genuine love, and earnestly even stretching and straining in ways that hurts sometimes to love one another. It's our love for one another. And I said this when we talked about this in gospel culture. If you haven't heard that sermon, go back and listen to it. We, it's, it's our love for one another that unites us as a church. And I'm convinced without a shadow of a doubt that it's our love for one another that brings people back to the church even after they've been gone and makes us more, lo- more attractive to the people who are out there and there are going to be increasingly more and more of them who are looking for a church that preaches truth and where people love each other. When we have that, there's a, there's a centripetal force that draws people in which we have, and there's a centrifugal force that pushes people out Monday through Saturday with the love of Christ to share with a dying world that desperately needs it. So the first thing he says is live like this, and that leads us to put this away. Verses, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Peter uses another form of therefore here. He says, so... So, or because of, or therefore. So, we need to put away these five habitual sins. If you're going to be good at at putting on the intentional grace of loving one another with sincere love, then you also need to be about the business of putting away these habitual sins. And this is not an exhaustive list. It's a demonstrative list. And these are interesting uh, things here. We, we, We put... We put off these things and we put on other things so that we can be healthy as a follower of Jesus. And I I think it's the same way with our bodies, right? I mean, if we're going to be healthy as a spiritual body, we put on love for one another and we put off these five habitual sins, which we'll go over in a minute. And if we're going to be healthy in our physical bodies, we need to put on good, nutritious food. We need to put on good sleep and rest. Hey, God took a day off, guys. We can take a day off. We can sleep at night. You don't have to burn the candle at both ends. Ecclesiastes talks about that. There's no good in that. We can can get the rest that we need. And we put off, we put those things on, we put off inertia by getting exercise and by doing hard work. If we're going to be intentional about taking care of the body, we have to put on and put off. And the same thing here. So let's put off these five things. These five sin habits are poison to our social life and they're deadly to the body of Christ. But by God's grace, we can put them away or or Peter wouldn't command us to do it. God never commands us to do something we can't do. Isn't that good of God? Right? Amen. He knows we're knuckleheads, but he tells us to do things that he knows we can do by his grace, which is strength and power. First of all, he says, put off malice. And that word literally means wickedness and evil habit of the mind. And this word kind of encompasses the three that will come behind it, envy and hypocrisy and deceit. You know, this is interesting. Peter used this word to describe Simon in Acts chapter 8. You remember Simon, 
He saw the apostles laying hands on people, and those people suddenly were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in tongues or whatever, manifest the power of the Holy Spirit in that day at that time. And, and uh, Simon said, that was cool. <laughs> yeah, I will pay good money. To, you, give me that, whatever that is, that thing you just did there, give me, give me that power. I'll give you money. And Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness, malice of yours. See, malice is not just entertaining thoughts of hurting someone because they've hurt you. Sometimes that's malice. But it's, it's also seen as, and this is pride and selfishness that wants a shortcut past the normal progress of spiritual growth in order to get to a place where you maybe are known for spiritual wisdom and maturity and maybe some spiritual power as well. I want to sh- just you know, bypass all that stuff, you know, that messy stuff where I have to actually you know, grow as a Christian. No, no, no. I just want this good stuff right here. And that also is malice, is spiritual pride in its selfishness. You know, Paul said th- that we were all once foolish disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's who we all were. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared, he saved saved us. He helped us to take off and, and put away those things. Next he says, put away deceit and Hypocrisy. Put all deceit and all hypocrisy away. Why? How can we do that? Jesus came, John 1, I think it's in the prologue there. Jesus came full of what? Remember? Grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Was Jesus' truth adulterated at all with hypocrisy or deceit or half lies? No. And if we're going to be in Jesus, and we are, and he's in us, and he is, then we also can live that way. We can put away tricks, decoys, guile. We can put away half-truths. No attempt through deceit or hypocrisy to promote ourselves or to protect ourselves should be part of who we are as followers of Jesus. Now, is this easy? No, it's very, very difficult. And we're all still in the stages of learning how to do that day by day. But what Peter is saying here is, hey, well, I know you're not there yet. Peter would have been honest. He said, I'm not there yet either. I'm still learning how to put this stuff away. But put it away when you recognize it in the way you speak, when you exaggerate something, when you tell a half-truth. Recognize that and put that away. Deceit is not part of the Christian character. And then he says, put away all envy. And I love this definition by Zodiates for envy. It's pain felt and malignity conceived at the sight of excellence or happiness. Think about that for a second. When you see somebody else who has something that you don't have, maybe it's a, maybe it's a physical thing, and maybe it's you know, money or a house or a car or whatever, Or maybe it's a talent or a gift or a position or some kind of prominence. And and that envy makes you hurt. There's, There's some pain there. And then a malignity, which is a cancer, develops because you don't want them to have it. You want to have it yourself. Well, that's 
that's dangerous. If we cannot celebrate other people's success and other people's gifts and talents, when I hear people sing that can really sing, I'm not sitting there going, man, I hate that person. They sing so well and I can't sing hardly at all. And that makes me sick and I wish they would stop singing. I, no, that's, that's, that's why I celebrate that gift when I hear somebody who has a talent like that. If we can't, there's, there's darkness and there's bitterness, and that, that, and that will, will be, our love for others will become, and already is, selfish and shallow. So Paul, Peter said, I keep saying Paul, it's really difficult not to say Paul because he wrote most of it, right? Peter says, put it away. And may I say this, <laughs> and you've heard it from me before and you're tired of hearing it, social media offers a tremendous platform for envy. I heard John Stone Street say recently, I don't think any teenage girl should ever be allowed to have her own phone. Now, little girls out there, don't panic. That's completely up to your parents, not to John Stone Street. But I think the point he was making was this, this is what happens and a lot worse if we give ourselves to what we find on social media. And the last thing he says, the first four are kind of in the mind, right? In the heart, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy. Those are things that we feel and we think about and we fester in. And then it results in an action which is sometimes slander. It's an action that grows out of entertaining those other sins. Right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth what? Speaks. Right? We're going to speak what's in our heart. And so if we're envious of other people or if we have malice toward other people or, or, or whatever, then it's going to come out. And sometimes it comes out through attempting to bring them down a notch. Oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Let me tell you what he did. Or even making stuff up, and that happens on social media too. I know y'all are shocked to hear that, that something on the internet is not true. But where we, we, we put something out there that's not even true, but we're trying to bring that person down a notch or two. And boy, you talk about destructive. I say this in the new members class. The thing that can, that can absolutely destroy Antioch is that we stop being open with one another and honest and transparent about our own sins and helping one another grow up and, and get past their, own, their sins as well. And we just start gossiping and backbiting and talking about people behind their backs and running them down and slandering them. That will sound the death knell of this church or any church, right? So Peter says, put these things away. And the language here is interesting. It's, it's like how many go out, you know, maybe in a, on a regular basis to the cow pasture and just roll around in the cow stuff? Anybody ever do that? Don't raise your hand. But if you did that, right, Michelle, if, if your kids did that, would you let them come in the house with those clothes on? What would you say? Take that stuff off, right? Go in that mudroom and strip it off. And that's what the, the same language Peter's using here. He's saying, take this stuff off like it's a soiled, nasty, smelly garment. Take it off. So maybe when we're tempted to, to have envy towards another person, we can, we can create a smell that we, that we associate with, with, that, with that sin, right? And maybe that would help us to take it off more quickly. In fact, Paul said the same thing. He said, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, Ephesians 4. Then in Romans 13, so then it's let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. 
So you don't just take off the soiled garment. You don't just take off malice and envy and hypocrisy, right? We put on the things of Christ. How do we do that? Well, that leads to the last point, and that is drink this up. Drink this up. I love verse 2. We had to memorize it for New Directions back in the day. Team, you remember that? Like newborn babies is the way I remember it, right? Desire the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow up. So this version is a little different. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now listen, it doesn't say grow up to salvation. That will be works, right? Hey, if you really long for the Word and and drink the Word and desire the Word, then maybe one day you'll be saved. No, this this is after salvation. Peter says because you're saved, because you're a newborn baby, you're born again, you're newborn, then grow into that salvation. Grow into the fullness, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ by doing this, by drinking this up by the power God gives us through the nourishment of His Word, which is pure spiritual meat. And I have great news for you guys. There is no such thing as lactose intolerance when it comes to the milk of God's Word. Praise God. In fact, I think we're to crave it to the point of a healthy addiction. Think of a newborn baby and his or her desire for milk. If that baby's healthy, is there any need to coax that baby to drink that pure milk? All the moms said, no, you don't have to beg that baby. In fact, that baby wakes you up in the middle of the night, right? Because that baby is craving the pure milk that only you can provide. And, and any delay at feeding time when your baby's hungry will get a noticeable reaction. Right? We call that original sin. That baby cares nothing about anybody but himself or herself, right? Because we were conceived in sin and we're born as sinners. But that's part of a baby growing up. For a growing, listen, for a growing infant, milk is not an optional extra. Nobody out there had a baby and the baby said, Yeah, I don't think I want any milk today. You know, I'm good. I'll just, you know, hang here with you guys today and, and not have anything to drink at all, ever. No. It's the sweet and pure means by which that baby grows healthy and strong. And that's what Peter's saying here. The Word of God is the sweet and pure means by which we grow healthy. Now listen, don't confuse that Hebrews passage where it says, now, you know, all of you are still drinking milk and you need to start eating meat. In this text, in this context, Peter is using pure milk to signify all of Scripture. Not just the basics of, you know, here's what it means to be baptized and here's what it means to have faith. No, it's the whole, the whole book. Even that third book, right? Uh, numbers. Sorry. <laughs> I love that, Brent. And I started to get up here and say, all right, we're in the... How many can tell me right now, without counting, which book is First Peter out of 66? All right, let's figure it out. Second Peter, and then what's after that? Jude, Revelation, 66, 65, 64. We're in 63, right? First, second, first, second, third John. See, I know my Bible so well. I'm, I'm going to spend this afternoon looking at those three books I forgot. So take three off of 63, so this is six, number 60, right? Doesn't matter. 
Peter, somebody's doing it right now. You type A's are doing it right now, right? The, the word of God is sweet and pure, and it, it lasts forever. Peter compares it to flowers, right? He said the flowers and the grass and the flesh, all that stuff withers and fades. I track the fading of my flesh every morning when I look in the mirror. I say, whoa, something, it's getting bad up in here. But eventually, my flesh will fail, and yours will too. But the Word of God, he says, exists forever and ever and ever. And so that's why we need to take it in. You know, there's no substitute to be healthy, no novel you can read, no news feed, especially some of those echo chambers, no social media, no entertainment can replace the Word, and yet it sits on our bedside stand sometimes while we imbibe the other things which cannot satisfy. What's the Word of God and what does it do? I'm going to give you just a real quick sample here. What does the Word of God do for us? It's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word pierces through every layer of who you are. That's why you can read a verse and you've read it a million times, but you read it and the, the Spirit at that moment takes that word and He pierces your heart with it. He says, this is what I'm saying to you. Do this or don't do this or know this about yourself. You are precious. I love that verse Elizabeth Elliot used to quote at the beginning of every one of her podcasts. What was it? Something about everlasting arms. And you, what is it, Lisa? Say it loud. That's right. She said, you are loved and underneath are the everlasting arms. Look, that's a verse that one, maybe you read it one day and you say, oh, he really does love me. He really is carrying me. It pierces. Next, God said his word shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose. It shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. His word never fails. It never fails. That means the word that's being preached to you right now is finding some place in your hearts, unless your heart is stony ground, is finding some place in your heart. God's going to do the rest. And when you read the word, same thing. You're taking that word in and God says, all right, that word's in you and I'm going to do with that word what I want to do. In fact, it will not fail. Next, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. His word shows us which way to go. I mean, you can consult your best friends, your besties about, you know, what job to take, and that's fine. But why not consult the Lord first and consult His Word? And as you read, maybe the Lord will illumine some truth to you about a job or about a spouse or about a church or about a mission, and then you'll say, okay, now I know what the Lord's telling me to do, and do that with counsel from others as well. That's another thing the Word does in the multitude of counselors. Who know the word. Next, is not my word like fire? I mentioned this one last week. Declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Unlike the false prophets who went before this in Jeremiah, God's word will burn the straw of falsehood and break the hardest sinner's heart. That's why when we're talking to people who don't know Jesus, we can tell them our testimony and we should. But at some point in there, we need to tell them the truth from God's word. This is what God's word says, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
Have you ever lied? Yeah, I've lied. Hadn't you? Well, then you're, you've sinned. All have sinned and fall short. And then Romans 6, 23, here's the good news. The wages of sin is death. That's bad news. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the good news. In other words, it's the word that breaks people's hearts. Not the, the world and not our opinions. We need to share the word. And then the kingdom of God, I love this parable. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain. The word of God produces fruit and life all by itself. We cannot make it happen. We can just sleep and rest and know that God is God. In that same chapter, Jesus said the seed is the word. And so what he's saying there is, look, share the word with people you know don't know Jesus, but you can't make them come to Jesus. You can't make them believe, can you? God does that. God does that. And we can rest. And look, you read the word to your children. You do family devotions. And by all means, do family devotions. But then you sleep. You go to bed and you rest. And you say, Lord, they heard the word, my children, you do with it what you want to do in their hearts. And just sit back and watch what happens as that word you've shared with them produces fruit. That's kingdom work, guys. And that's what Jesus said in Mark 4. This is what the kingdom of God is like. So long for the pure spiritual milk of God's word, if indeed, Peter ends with, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You know, I, I think Peter loved uh, Psalm 23. I believe that with all my heart. He, he quotes Psalm 20, uh, 20, I'm sorry, Psalm 34, not 23. He quotes Psalm 34 here, and he's going to quote it again in chapter 3. So that's why I thought we should read Psalm 34. If you want to follow along in your Bible, you can, but I'm going to read Psalm 34. Now look, David wrote this when he was running from Saul, Okay. Think of Peter's life and his foibles and his sins and his putting his foot in his mouth and yet God restoring and Jesus restoring him. Think of Peter and why he may have really loved this song. I will bless the Lord at all times. That goes to what uh, Scott preached about, verses 3 through 5. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you as saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may say good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. 
The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones and not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Amen. Let's drink it up, saints. Let's drink it up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Peter, for his life lessons that turned into this wonderful book that we're studying. And Lord, let it be more than just a study, but let it be life-changing for us. To change us, uh, Lord, from glory to glory, day by day, become more like you so that others might see Jesus in us. Lord, most of all, our prayer is, Lord, let others see Jesus in me, in all of us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, for your sake, O Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. Antioch meets every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about Mark and the books he's written, go to jmarkfox.com.